What's up, everybody? On today's episode of the Boston Ski Party, we are joined by Kyle Smain. Kyle is a once world champion half-pipe skier who in recent years has taken a step back from the competitive world to focus more on big mountain and free skiing content creation. Kyle's professional ski career began nearly a decade ago, and around that same time, the Ski Monster's very own Matt Berkowitz signed him onto his team when he was at Fisher Skis. Kyle talks a little bit about his transition from competitive free skiing to where he's at today with skiing and life in general. And then we take a deep dive into Kyle's current role at Fisher Skis. If you go into Kyle's Instagram feed, the first thing you'll notice is that he pumps out reels of epic POV shots on the new Fisher Ranger Series skis nonstop. While stuff like that is no doubt huge for the Fisher brand, Kyle also takes part in a lot of prototyping and development behind the scenes. You'll hear him dive into some stories about his role in the development of the new Ranger Series. Being an athlete in the ski industry, his involvement in the Fisher Ranger Series is about as hands-on as it gets. Stoked to catch up with our homie Kyle. Enjoy the show. Holla. Is what it is, man. Is what it is, man. It is what it is, man. It is what it is, man. It's cheap too. Duskymaster.com. Dude, you look like you look like such a grown-up now. <sighs> I, I don't know about that. I try sometimes. <laughs> you look like a. You look like a. Yeah, you're like a full-blown adult now. You're like all. You're engaged now. Congratulations. Oh, dude, congrats. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Engaged and sort of own a house. Uh, definitely more of a sort of than, at least I think it's more of a sort of. Well, how do you sort of own yeah, a house? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, like you were my dad bank. moved out of oh, the, the house works. a year ago. Got it. And, and I pay his mortgage, but I don't You're not on pay my own mortgage. Yeah, I'm uh, not on the paper yet. Working on that on that process, so <laughs> I sort of own a house. Count it. That, that I mean, that counts. Yeah, I'm saying that counts as how owning the house for sure. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, my name is on the paperwork, but Chase Bank owns my house. Right. So yeah, yeah. Some some weird bank in Northern New Hampshire owns my house. Yeah. Forget <laughs> 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 the name. So it's a regional bank. <laughs> Um, sweet. Well, first of all, thanks Kyle for making time. We, uh, we know you're, we know you're a busy dude now and you just, you just got back from a trip, but, um, yeah, let's, let's kind of just start off with, with who you are, what you do. Yeah. Uh, I'm Kyle Smain. I'm now over 30 years old at 31 feeling, <laughs> feeling younger than I thought I would feel. You look fantastic. Uh, you look great. <laughs> thanks. Uh, <laughs> What I, I ski a lot. I used to kind of done everything, grew up ski racing in Tahoe and then dabbled a little in ski cross. And then that crowd got lame. Uh, and then did slope style, big air, half pipe, eventually specializing in half pipe. Um, and I guess you could say making a career out of it, but I would say I made more of a ski career following half pipe skiing. So I don't know, maybe that was just like my roadmap to making things work a little bit. Yeah. And, and you also, uh, newly or what within the last year or so also have a real, a real job as well. Correct. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So a year and a half ago, I started working for Pagely, which does manage WordPress hosting. So anyone out there that needs a WordPress site hosted somewhere, we do that. 
Um, Shout out. And we got acquired by GoDaddy. And now I run our partnerships. So I, I manage all of our partnerships with external design and web development agencies. Okay. Nice. Sick. So well, were you just in Greece? Didn't you say yeah. he was in Greece? Yeah. 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 So I was just in Greece for a Sick. week for this annual conference, this group called Soda Society of Digital Agencies with like a hundred or so of some of the top digital agencies in the world. You know, the people that are building websites and NFT campaigns and everything for like Facebook, Asana, Prada, Gucci, like the big names across, across the world. Um, the, the founders, CEOs, COOs of those types of uh, agencies were all, all together in Greece. And I got to go for Pagely. We were one of the sponsors. Nice. Where, whereabouts in Greece were you? We were in Athens. So we had a place in downtown Athens and, um, you could walk up to the Parthenon and, and all of that. And honestly, really, I had never been to Greece at all and super cool city, like great access to the Mediterranean, insane food, cool history and culture. And then I actually took my mountain bike with me. I went like two days early and you can, from town center, downtown, you can ride three, three and a half miles. And there's like proper sick mountain biking basically right in town. Really? Yeah. That's it was sick. insane. I, I mean, I've, I've been to Greece too. And I guess what I didn't kind of like know about Greece until I got there is like, it's like a desert. So it's like this weird, like desert, like you're on an Island, but it's like a legitimate, like desert Island. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And so for you to say like it's mountain biking, I mean, that totally makes sense because it's hilly, but there's like, there's no real like trees or anything. So it's just kind of just like wide open. Yeah. I mean, there were trees on this, on this mountain on where I was riding, but I mean, super rocky, aggressive. It was, it's weird because I, I rode one time and we went to Italy and, and rode there and it's like the blue trails in a lot of the Alps are like roads, you know, they're 10 yeah. foot wide roads. And then you went there and like blues were way more aggressive than some blacks back home in the States. And like the blacks, not even double blacks, like some of the blacks I was walking down. I was like, <laughs> this is, this is super weird. And for reference, Smain is a badass um, mountain biker. Yeah. I, I can imagine. Um, so. so yeah, when you're, when you're, when you're not skiing or, selling websites uh you're usually mountain biking correct <laughs> yeah i mean at this point winter is such a short season um and i where i grew up and where i live now is so close to really good mountain bike trails i can just ride from the house so i i definitely do over 100 days a year on my mountain bike and damn, damn. Um, got well, sucked what, in what's I it a like of them now, what's so. it like traveling with that with that humongous thing do you, like do you have a, a badass bag it's, it's a pretty simple yeah, it's, yeah, you just have a bag. I mean, you have to break it down and build it up, but it's, I would say it's probably like once you, the first time when you get a bag and you're trying to figure it out, it takes a while. But mm -hmm. once you know what you're doing, maybe it's 20 minutes to build it up and 30 minutes to break it down. It's, it's honestly, it's no, it's less of a pain in the ass probably than a ski bag. Um, similar, like w weights are similar. Some airlines charge oversized fees getting it into a car with other people is a pain in the ass, but it's, it's like fairly equivalent to a ski bag. Um, so if you're used to traveling with skis, it's not going to be any more of an inconvenience. Yeah. The last time I was in Greece, I, I, to be honest with you, I definitely wasn't doing much mountain biking. It, it was more, it was more, it was more, we were, we were, we were Island cruising and getting, getting fucking hammered. 
Yeah, I know. I, I, I think I just have ADHD too bad. I like need, I need to burn a few hours and feel tired and then I can do that. I mean, while you were there, you were, you were working and then Berkowitz was telling me because he was, because you were traveling. He's like, oh yeah, Spain's traveling. I'm like, what is he doing after Greece? He's like, he's, like, he's actually flying to Austria for what, a sales meeting or something like test that? Prototypes. Test prototypes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we have some new stuff that's in the works. Um, I mean, we kind of always do at this point, but yeah, once I knew I was going to Europe for a trip and like somebody else was paying for the flight, which is like most of the cost, I was, yeah, called up, um, Fisher in Austria. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be here these dates. Like if it makes sense on, on either end before or after to, you know, do some testing or shoot some videos or whatever. Um, let me know. And so, yeah, I left to Greece on a Friday flew to Munich and then drove in and we went to Hintertuck's Glacier and, and did two days of ski testing and I flew home on Monday. Sick. Again, it's just kind of, it's kind of awesome because you're essentially, you know, life of a pro skier, but also going to a, a conference in Greece for your other job, which so it's quite to balance, a lot to balance out, dude. It's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would call it balance, but yeah, <laughs> it's a lot to do. Well, yeah, totally a lot to do. What, what, where were we? I, I always mess up where we skied in Austria. Where do we ski in Austria? Uh, when on the Nordic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kitsteinhorn. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Kitsteinhorn's cool. I the town is like a little sleepy, yeah. It's okay if you go to Zellemse, um, yep. which is super cool, but uh, yeah, I've been to Kitsteinhorn once to, to early season pipe train, that's where all the early season half pipe camps are. Nice. Yeah. How are the conditions when you're there? Was it was it decent? Yeah, I mean, it was like it was like spring skiing. Uh, the best. Long long rope toe lines. All the racer kids. It's mayhem. Like all the little Italian kids snaking you in line. Like you seriously. <laughs> I had to like I had to like put my pole on this girl's top sheet and pull her back because it was like. <laughs> Five of us in a group, awesome. all there, and she was like trying to like snake through the middle of her group. I was like, "Nah, this isn't gonna happen." She got mad at me. I'm like, "Dude, it's calm down. Like, we're all in line. We're all together." She did eventually end up going along the rope line and still snaking us, but she was like trying to just blast straight through the middle of the group, and I wasn't having it. But conditions were good. I mean, uh, firm on some of the glacier parts, which would be good if you were race training. And then they had a pretty sick park up with like a two jump line and a bunch of rails that was kind of top to bottom on this T-bar. And then they had a big jump up with a bigger and a small lip. I would say the big one was, I don't know, maybe I'm getting old and soft. It seemed like it was maybe 65, 70 feet. Probably it was pretty, it was big. It was proper. Nice. So obviously uh, we don't go for it. Well, we don't get jumps like that in California till like February. So getting that in October is pretty dope. Right, in, right into the fire, dude. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that seems really early for a, for a jump that big. It's, I mean, yeah. just to have enough snow to move it around. Yeah. It's wild. So you were obviously, I'm sure you can't talk too much about it, but uh, obviously testing some twin tips, it sounds like. Yeah, we were working on some things. Nice. Nice. Yeah, future um, things. Um, and it, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's too much of a secret, seeing as Lucas was on something new at, at that competition over in Europe. But, um, either way, yeah. it so, sounds like a sound, sounds like a little bit of a, a little bit of a good, uh, teasing out there at least, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, we, we started this thing kind of had to put the brakes on with, um, really like that fire in our Ukraine factory a couple of years ago. So this, and, and sort of changed what we were doing, but, um, 
yeah, working on some new stuff and it's cool to have, to have Lucas on board. And yeah, I mean, if, if anyone wants a, a teaser that I'm not supposed to or allowed to share myself, you know, Lucas was at that city big air in Switzerland with, um, a, it was still a prototype version. Like we have a newer construction version since then, but, um, a version of something new that's coming. Sweet. Sick. And, you know, obviously Matt being at Fisher for a while prior to Ski Monster. So you, you guys have known each other for a while, right? Yeah, a long yeah. time. A long time. Long so time. so how, how did that initial, how did that initially happen getting him on, on to Fisher Skis? I want to, I want to hear Berkowitz's, <laughs> you know, my, my perspective. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I mean it, I would hope that they're, they're pretty similar. I hope they're as, way different. And, and, I hope they're wildly different. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what fucking happened. <laughs> oh, um, no, I mean it was obviously it was it was at a it was at a different time too. Um, not that it was you know twenty years ago or anything, but it was. I'm trying to think what was the what was the the first year you started skiing for Fisher was. I I don't remember the year. I think it's been like I I want to say we're going into year eight, but it's seven or eight or something like that. And honestly, it could be longer. I don't. It's longer. Don't, it's longer than that. Track. Yeah, it's longer yeah, than it's that for be sure. That. Because um, I left Fisher December of twenty eighteen, um, and at that point, you were on the roster for at least four or five years. At least five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe but, we're coming up on ten. Yeah, I think you're. You, I think you're pretty close. I'm sure I could. Uh, I bet there's, I bet there's some paperwork at the Fisher office that could that could that could put a stamp on that. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just like Kyle said, I mean, he's got uh, he's got a pretty wide career starting racing, skier cross, mm -hmm. um, park and pipe stuff. But he he really settled into into half pipe, and that was around the time we were pushing. Oh, everybody was really pushing park and pipe skis. Um, so Kyle coming on as a pipe skier, like he said, that was, that was his focus. Um, and I'm trying to think at the, at the time we, we didn't really have many competitive pipe skiers, you know, um, obviously Fisher is a, a, a brand that just, you know, exudes competition mostly on the race side. But, um, so we were in the, in the phases of building out a team and, and Kyle was, Kyle was one of those guys. I think I first met you maybe at the Pock House at yeah, Pock House tour. Yep. That's <laughs> what? what I remember. I, he 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 tells it so diplomatically. Here's how I here's how I remember it. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah. So we're I I skied for Pock at the time for a number of years, and so we Pock would do a house for do tour, and and Berkowitz stayed there one year. Um, and I was skiing on Moment did. at the time. I I had been on Vocal Marker and then uh, left, went to Moment for two seasons. And then the second year that Berkowitz was at the Pock House. Yeah, so we had met the year before. And I was like, oh, I'm looking for something new. Like, I just didn't find anything new this summer. And he's like, well, you didn't call me. But <laughs> what the heck? Like, clearly, clearly you didn't call everybody. <laughs> What the fuck, dude? And just heckled me about it, and it still—I mean, he still heckles me on at something for the last ten years. So, <laughs> yeah, that—that's how it went. And then the next season, I started riding for Fisher, and uh, probably the next season was probably the, like the last year of the Pock House. That whole thing dissolved. Yeah. Well, the brands spending on things like that 
dissolved right about that time too. Yep. What, what did you ski on the first year? Do you remember? I think we had nightstick and then I think we did the gurus was like the next season or there's a guru and, and something else. Yep. Um, and that was around for one or two seasons and then went back, back to the nightstick. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And then that transitioned into the, what, the next new Ranger at the time after, after, after you transitioned away from the doing comps and, and more free skiing. Is that kind of how that worked? Yeah. So that, that was, I mean, his, his focus for sure was, was pipe skiing and I'm sure Kyle, you remember the conversation we had, so I'll, I'll probably let you, you tell it, but as his career, you know, moved along, by the way, won a, won a world championship in 2015. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> Manturicha. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's actually funny that you say it like that because, I mean, Kyle, do you feel like winning a world championship in half pipe moved the needle for you? No, it didn't do anything. I mean, no, I, I take that back. I take that back. Um, yeah. Well, luckily, Berkowitz would, would invite me on the, the powder photo shoots, even mm-hmm. though I was a half pipe skier. I don't think any any other brand at the time wasn't really doing that. You know, you could have like the Matty Bowmans at being a vocal and they weren't. So a, he took a risk on me and, and gave me those opportunities. And then I just kept developing those skills, but yeah, he, he heckled me for a long time on quitting, not gave me a hard time, but it was like, Hey, Hey, there's yeah. Like you should do something else other than half five skiing. And I was like, I, I was still in it for me. I had, goals that I wanted to achieve. Yeah. Certainly world champs was, was rad. Like going there, I knew I could go there and win. It was just one of those contests where I like already had the mindset before I left. I was like, I can go win this. And then it happened. It didn't move the needle. I made exactly zero more dollars after winning world championships than I did the season before. But I would say, I will say that to this day, the thing that that moved the needle for is when you can send emails to new brands or whatever that says world champion skier like that people open the email and that's 90 percent of the battle so having having the title attached so that people actually open the email so then they can even start to engage it it moved the needle for that as far as like that actual credential doing anything for me yeah aside from that i would say probably not Yep. And just to clear it up, I, I mean, heckling is a strong, is a strong word there. It was, <laughs> I was, it, okay. You know. Light that. Yeah. Lightly suggesting quitting three you, times. You, a you don't have to defend, you don't <laughs> have to defend yourself, dude. No, it was, you know, for me, for, for me it was, you know, you feel it, bad. And, and, and again, like my goal at the time was to get somebody like Kyle on the program right. who was, who was skiing half pipe competitively yeah. and um, could get on, those skis that you talked about, the nightstick and the the guru and, and all that stuff. But, you know, spending more time with him and, and going on photo shoots and going on trips. And I mean, he's a ripping skier mm-hmm. before he was a half pipe skier. So it was like, I felt like his skills could translate into other yeah, parts of the industry. Fair enough. And, and you, you were right. And, and, and potentially make more money than skiing half pipe and, right. and watching him destroy his body week after week was also pretty tough too. So, um, but no, I think, I think you make a good point. I mean, that was, that was something different at that time, you know, you know, bringing you or, or even Steve Nyman, you know, who's a world cup racer. Like we did, 
we did plenty of photo shoots with him for, you know, wateas and big sticks and, you know, um, even ranger skis. So like taking, taking guys with a different background and going out and, and shooting in that, you know, other category, I think yeah. was, was pretty sweet, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of photo shoots, dude, I mean, well, that's a lot of what it is to be a pro skier, uh, a lot. And I didn't know that. I mean, the first time that, that you and I met was at Aspen, um, uh, free skier a few years ago. And that was one of my first like real experiences of like, Hey, we're going to go get some shots, you know? And I was like, Oh sick. Yeah. This is going to be fucking awesome. You know, we've done this before out East, but like, and literally a lot of it is Matt like, okay, you guys stand here for like 40 minutes and then I'll radio up. You're like, all right, cool. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. all right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I think the most classic story for me was like my, my first time I ever went to Jackson hole was with Matt to shoot stuff. And yeah. in, in, well, in three full days at Jackson hole, we took a total of four runs mm. and, and the day, the one day that we did two runs, when you ski out the gates and you come from out of bounds, there's a chairlift that bumps you back up so you can ski back to the village in the parking lot. Yeah. And I think it closes at 4.15 or 4.20. We almost missed it. So it was like the one day that we did two runs, we were out there till 4.30 because you're just like, yeah, it's just a process. It's long. It's not, it's not skiing. It's not like some, you just go ripping and someone like pops off to the side quick and is like, oh yeah, let me capture you just doing your thing. Like that's not what it is. No. And a, a lot of people don't fine know if that's what you sign up for. Yeah. No. And a lot of people don't know that. I mean, I, I mean. I didn't know that. And I've been working in the ski business for, for a long time now, you know, and until you actually go out and experience it. And it's a lot of it is like, okay, you know, we got to find a spot, find some good snow. This is what I'm thinking as someone that's going to take the photo. This is what I want the photo to kind of do. Waiting so, for the light. Waiting for the light, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and all that stuff is, is awesome um, to learn about for sure. And, and to get that one frame, you're like, oh, sick. That was, that was really, really sweet. But how much work actually goes into that one frame to be able to like, share it or post it or, or whatever you're going to do with it. It just looks like, Oh wow. Kyle just like skied by Matt and he like had his phone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, and yeah. that was, that was, I think for a lot of us, I forget, I forget who else was on that trip. I know obviously Jeff and was living there at the time, Tim Schwartz. Um, but even those guys, locals that, you know, were fisher athletes that knew every, every little spot that we could go and shoot. Um, you know, and they knew what the goal was, but like to go to Jackson for three days and take, you know, four or six runs is like, you go home and people are like, oh, how was Jackson? It yeah. sounds sick. And it was like, we took four runs. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. 10,000 like, photos. Yeah. You take, you take the tram and you go out the gates and, the, and just like Kyle said, it's like, you find a zone and you, you pound it to death. It's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's move over 20 more feet. Let's get just out of the the tracks from before out of the frame and we'll keep moving over, keep moving over. I mean, you know, the deal, but yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just remember, you know, talking to some of you guys, especially you, Kyle, like you said, that was your first one. And it was just like, dude, we took five runs in three days. Like, is this how these things go? And it was like, <laughs> yeah. And I will say, why I did, did I quit the half? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> At uh, least I was skiing. <laughs> yeah. And I will say that, that, that first one, uh, I definitely did heckle you because it was like, it was Kyle's first shoot. I asked him to be I on it. I think that was the third one. I think we did, I think that we did um, Silverton before we did Jackson. I think we did Silverton twice, then Jackson. Am I wrong there? 
I skied horrible in Jackson. Yeah, that's but, the reason I, you know, I think you're right, but that was the reason I heckled you because it was like by day two, I had, I had had no shots of Kyle. And obviously I was like busting his yeah. balls, but he was right. super frustrated. Um, I was. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's I, I think that trip, I still think that like I would go to make a turn and I crossed my tips. I think I crossed my tips more in those three days yeah. than like the previous 10 years cumulatively. Yep. I would just like cross tip tomahawk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Every turn. Yep. Yeah, we had we I mean obviously there's a lot of history there. So Kyle and I had some some pretty wild adventures, but Silverton uh we had some some killer times at Silverton. So oh, yeah, I've never I've never been. Silverton's yeah. gnarly, but um I've never been to Silverton. Yeah, it was it was an experience every year. It was like we had something different. I mean, we always left there with shots, which was really cool. But the the town itself is is insane. It's like going back in time. That the terrain is also insane. You know that one lift. You're again another spot where like you're earning, you're earning a lot of those shots. Um, oh yeah, one lift, no groomers, right? Yeah, sick. Yep. Is it like really guy? Is it really guide heavy, right? For the most part yeah so you can do some unguided skiing i think what early and late season kyle but like the meat of the season you have yeah. to, you have to have a guide i mean for us um we were there fisher was the binding partner at the time so we got a certain amount of days so oh, we, nice. we would go there and um we would always get alex hunt shout out to alex you know alex mm -hmm. who man where'd he go after silverton he was dps or dps K2 or yeah i don't know um but anyway, he was like, we always had Alex as a guide. He always found us great snow, which, nice. which was very sweet. Um, funny story. We needed some video stuff one year and Kyle decided to bring, um, bring one of his friends who's an amazing videographer, not the best skier. <laughs> um, and our guide that year was, um, it wasn't Alex. That was a year after he left. Chris, Chris, what's his last name? Badass snowboarder. This, this, yeah. Pro snowboarder. Yeah. I don't, I'm spacing on his last name. Chris, <laughs> he, he, he guided for, he was like an Eddie Bauer guy for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we show up, this dude shows up, They and they would drive from California every year, which was insane. Uh, but he shows up, you know, red camera, all this equipment, mm -hmm. and then come to find out, like, we get to the top of the lift, and, you know, you get to the top of the lift, and then you start hiking. And the dude's just like, all right, who's carrying all my shit? And what? I, and I like what? I look look over at Kyle and like the dude, again, great dude, did not belong at <laughs> at Silverton. So you guys hiked up his gear, and and skied down with it until he was like ready to set up a shot, and then this snowboarder would like hand over his red camera, and he would like set up and start wow. shooting. <laughs> wow, what happened to all that footage? You use it? Oh yeah. Oh good. Yeah, we got some good stuff well, out. At of least that. you used it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And then we we did one year uh, Red Mountain Pass. As well, that was pretty sick. Yeah. We stayed in a little hut. Yeah, that was probably there. my favorite one. Yep. Where and where is that? That's right near Silverton. So if you come from the, you can either fly into Durango and come from that side, or um, what's the other small like airport? Grand Junction through Ure. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I think you would have to fly into like Grand Junction, and then it's a couple hours south. Yeah, there's another airport over there. I can't. I'm blanking on it right now. But small, small air. Uh, Montrose, Montrose Airport. Is, um, it, is that like, is it just like skin in or is there a cat or how does that work? Oh no, it's all human powered. Oh, so wow. yeah, you stayed, uh, you, we stayed. I mean, the, let's, the, the hut was only a hundred yards off the road. So yeah. like the into the hut was easy, but then yes. like from the hut, it was all human powered. So we'd like, some days we'd hop in the car, go 
a mile up the road to a different spot to start hiking and then hike and do some peak. Sick. Yep. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. No, it was sick. That was that was a that was a really cool trip. And we had uh, Sven Brunso on there, which is probably the longest standing Fisher athlete. He's still riding for Fisher. It's got to be for thirty years at this point. But um, he he's from Durango, so he knew every like nook and cranny. Like found us every spot to make a turn. Knew like where the sun was going to be at every single time of the day. It was mm-hmm. yeah. It was it, it that was that was a pretty efficient trip, which was nice. Yeah, we nailed it there. That's that's actually, and I would say that's the trip where I learned that how hard you had to work if you wanted to do good ski photos. Because I remember we'd hike, like we skinned up this whole ridge, you know, hiked however, 2,000, 3,000 vert to get to this peak, and then like come down this little couloir, end up in this basin, and then Sven sees this like field of snow above us, and just like, oh yeah, I could just put in a boot pack. And we still had like, more than 2,000 feet of skiing. Yeah. I'm like, you don't think we're going to like get enough snow to get shot <laughs> below us? And he's like, nope. yeah, but it's right here. He's like, we'll just put in a quick boot pack. I mean, we ha- we had to have hiked this boot pack six times each. Oh, yeah. And oh, you yeah. just like, ev- everywhere we went, it was just like, come down, ski three turns, boot pack up. Like that, mm-hmm. that seeing the work ethic and, and Sven, in case anyone listening doesn't know, he's the, he's the most published skier yeah. ever. He has more covers than anyone. He has, he's been published over 4,000 times, I think. It's insane. So That's he's like, insane. If there's someone to learn being a what I would call being a ski actor is like nobody has done it more done it better than Sven has and he's still doing it he's still he goes doing on trips it. to Norway every year he, he's still photographers call him all the time and that's he's the one who taught me like oh if you want to get good shots be ready to boot pack in waist deep pal just so you can go up and make a single turn yeah yeah yep. and that and, and that was that was the trip that we coined uh the term svending 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 for sven brunso that's, um, that's awesome yeah it's 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 a lot of uh it's a lot of ski acting as you now know now i know a couple of years now, now i know any I think, any shot that matt shares of me it is one thousand percent of a full blown fucking ski act. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not true, but I, I think I think that was Kyle probably get it, one, one get of it, the, just get it. Yeah, one of those trips. I, <laughs> that was one of those trips, though. I feel like for you that that clicked, like you said. A, I mean, you always had really good work ethic, but like what you saw Sven doing to get this one shot, knowing that we still had another twenty five hundred vertical feet to ski down, like. I feel like that was probably a turning point for you and some of the other guys that were with us. And again, that was like where that term spending got coined because it was like, dude, you can't, you, you don't even have room to make a turn here. You got to go up. Well, there's this little sliver. No, 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 I got it. And he'd boot pack up and like come down and it was like, boom, every time. Like awesome. poles in the perfect spot. Do you want top sheets? Do you want to see the bases? Like, dude, he just. He, pro, just a full yeah, pro. Full, full pro. So um shout out to sven for sure so kyle do you have any upcoming ski acting trips early season (laughs) not early season um i don't there's a chance like i i shot a lot last winter with grant gunderson for icon pass and so i talked to him actually earlier today so there's a chance on like a bc road trip if we get early season snow which the forecast is looking like that might be a possibility we'll see what i can maybe swing with work and then um talking about japan in january so oh, nice those would be like the earliest earliest ones i think yeah. and so, then so, i go 
Yes, sorry. So like, just because it popped, popped in my head. So, so with work, like, how how does your winter look? Like, like, what's your what's your winter schedule look like? You know, obviously balancing, trying to balance both both things, and like going to Japan is a commitment. Going to obviously be wherever you're going to go. You know, what is what is you know Christmas through, you know, March thirty first look like? It's kind of like I take as many days off as I think I can without getting fired <laughs> and stress about it the entire time <laughs> and hope I still have a job at the end of the season. Fair. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of this stuff, especially last year, I mean, technically I'm just in sales. So half of my paycheck is tied to commission. So if your key performance indicator, right, is how many sales you're making, like if you don't, if you do the job, people can't really give you that hard of a time. It's true. Um, it, it ends up just being a lot of work. Like I take time off from my day job to then go do other work, mm-hmm. but it's more fun and it's just cool opportunities that I want people to keep calling me for. So it's really hard for me to say no to really what it looks like is like I wake up early in the morning, get up at like six answer emails and catch up with work stuff for an hour and a half, put on my stuff, ski all day. And then at the end of the day, work until like 11 PM so that I can do it the next day. And, and then when I, when I like put in my time off for work, instead of taking full eight hour days of PTO, I'll be like, Oh, well, I'm only going to take, like, I'm gonna be gone this whole week, but I'm just taking four hours. Cause I can do four hours of work. Yeah. Cause I remember I saw, so that's kind of how I do it. Y- yeah. I mean, that's, that's sounds pretty efficient and a incredible use of time, which is awesome. But I, I, when we saw each other in Jackson last year, I mean, I think it was the last day that we were there and I was talking to you um, at the bar and you were just like, dude, I'm just, I'm just like tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, t- I'm like, Oh, I'm like, okay. You're like, yeah, I'm just like, it, there's just a lot. I just been, feel like I've been, even my days off, don't feel like days off. I've just been grinding and, and I can kind of see it. So now talking to you and you explaining it that way, I can see that Kyle was doing some soul yeah. skiing in Jackson last yeah, year. Yeah, He was doing some soul skiing in Jackson. I remember that. I, I needed that soul skiing injection. I been, it had been such a shit winter all year. Like Tahoe got no snow. And, I mean, we did in December and then January and February were totally dry. Jackson didn't have snow. And then it finally snowed and it was bluebird and it was sick. And I, I don't it was, know. It the was, social it media was, landscape has changed too. So it gave me an easy excuse. I was like, oh, well, video and reels do better than photos. I'm just going to go free skiing with a GoPro and <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Yep. <laughs> it's not a bad... It's really yeah. not a bad idea at all. And yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Um, and, and honestly, that's a, that's, that's a great segue. So, um, you know, on a, when, when you first started skiing for Fisher and you were competing, um, obviously social media was, was still prevalent, but not, not like it is now. Um, you know, how, how does that look for you and, you know, making sure that you're getting your sponsors, the, you know, requirements or the wants and needs that they have, um, you know, it used to be scheduling photo shoots and going to Silverton and trying to get a a season's worth of, you know, photos or, you know, we would go to Utah and be like, okay, we're going to get all of our on piece stuff at, you know at Deer Valley and then we're going to go get our free ride stuff yep. at Alta and Snowbird. Mm-hmm. But you know, that whole thing's changed. So how, how does that work for you and your sponsors where, you know, you have all these commitments and requirements per your contracts, but um, you know, how does that look now? It's not, it's not competition results. It's, it's, it's likes, correct? Yeah. I mean, 
it's it's good and bad. It's um, a a like I would say this to to any athlete that's out there or anyone that's listening is like the the timing of it for me. I just got really I think I got really lucky. I was into the content stuff and shooting before when I was still competing, so I was like okay at it then. Is yeah now social media like you own the platform, so you're in control of your own destiny. Like brands, all the brands are looking for distribution channels because like regardless a, a everybody needs more content than they could ever pay to create like nobody has enough time or money to make all the content that you need to keep social media feeds full mm -hmm. um and they need distribution channels so like they need to talk to the people that follow you and so for me it's like now i i make it a point i i take a gopro with me I, almost every single day I go skiing, pretty much every single day. I might not use it every single day, but almost every day. Even if I go ski groomers for an hour before work or something or on a lunch break, like I take a GoPro, film two of the runs, skiing groomers, and like then I have stuff. Cause you can, yeah, just capturing the moment as much as you can. Yeah, and it's just – and you never know what's, what's going to do well. I think that the thing that sucks about it is that – when you're a higher level athlete, like the stuff that you want to post, the stuff that you care about, that you think that your peers are going to be stoked on mm. is the higher level stuff. The stuff that's, that you wouldn't want to post is the most relatable and often does the best. So it's a little hard. Yeah. You have, you have to let go of your ego, but you get a, you get a ton of control. I think, um, what's been successful for me is, is trying to be really clear on, what I can and can't do and, and set expectations. So like I'm going out, I'm creating the content that I know that I can create efficiently and then I'm providing that. So like all the brands that I work with are basically getting the same content here and there. I'll do, I'll like set up some specific stuff to shoot content for say Thule, right? Like, cause I'm not going to use luggage bags on while I'm skiing. So every once in a while I'm, I'm shooting some stuff for specific brands. But for the most part, the bulk of the content that I'm creating is just like the content that I know that I can create efficiently. And I'm sharing those galleries and those Google drives with everybody. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a huge amount of value. Like if you actually just track what your metrics are so that you can go back to people and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what my audience is. This is how many pieces of content that I gave you. Honestly, nobody uses it. It's crazy. I give, 400 photos and a hundred videos to all the brands I work with every year on average, maybe they post six to 12, but what I can go to them is it, it's not my fault. You didn't use it. Like it was there. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I can back to what you said about, you know, being able to be relatable. I, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, even from our, our side, like, you know, we'll post something that it could be, you know, George or, or you, right. Doing something super sick. And you're like, Oh, that's so awesome. And then we'll post like, you know, AP eating pizza and everyone's like that pizza photo is fucking sick. Yeah. Like, you know, eating pizza in the parking lot, like after skiing, like well-deserved slice of cheese. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredibly relatable, you know, to the person that's looking at that post is like, yeah, that looks like delicious pizza. Right. I enjoy pizza after skiing too. Wow. Like ski monsters. Cool. I, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a weird, well, and thing. I, and they don't have to be a pro athlete to eat a piece of pizza. You right. know, I, I think that's a, you know, well, and, and, and Kyle, you and I, you go for it. Well, and, and so much of so much of what you remember, right? Like the thing that makes the ski experience great isn't always the skiing, right? It's, it's getting together with your friends. It's the drive up to the resort. Right. It's, 
grabbing beers afterwards. It's like, you know, if you're on the East Coast, it's like getting a waffle from the Waffle Shack. Like, oh yeah, those are the things that is when you're kids that you remember. Like the progression is what fuels you to want to like ski more and and get better. Is kind of that intrinsic bit. But the actual ski experience, so little of it's the skiing. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, I think we've all talked about this at length, but just the ski industry has like perpetuated the extreme you oh, know yeah. concept for so long and it was always you know you flip through a magazine and it's you know their best athlete hucking themselves off a cliff with a product photo and you know a tagline and mm -hmm. um you know I, I said this one of my last years at fisher where it was like let's do something different where and i said it to you guys here it's like mm -hmm. Flipping through a ski magazine, every single ad almost looks the same. Where you could literally switch out a logo. Oh, dude, it's awful. You know, it's even um, still, it's it's like it's awful. Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, it's hard, like you said, Kyle, being an athlete and being able to perform and do certain things that are really sick, but people can't necessarily relate to that. And then, like, you go post a, you know, a photo of you carving a nice turn and people are like, Oh, you know what? That's sick. Like I could actually do that. Yeah. Um, versus like, you know, Garrett's favorite trick you've ever done, which was that Bronco at Sunapee last year that you never posted. No, Kyle's <laughs> favorite. The, 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 oh, sorry. <laughs> Bro, Dude, I was writing a note. Yeah, he's not even paying attention. I, I was writing a note for the show, but, uh, <laughs> I thought you were like asking me what my favorite, uh, oh. Well, my favorite trick I did was, but, uh, no, dude, uh, switch screaming seven in the pipe unreal. I don't think I've seen that done by anybody else. Um, major props. I know I'm like a little late, but <laughs> no, thanks. That was one of my favorite tricks too. So yeah. But uh, again, one of those things where like he would put a video up and prop people are just like, dude, what, yeah, what, what, what was did he that? even do? Yeah. Like, Sorry, um, I got, I got, uh, no, dude, that was, that was actually, that was, that was gold, dude. Yeah. I'm you know, lost in a note, dude. Yeah. That was good. So, so Kyle, when was the last time you went skiing without a GoPro or a camera or. I mean, the beauty of skiing with a GoPro is like, you just go skiing. That's, that's why I do it. And most people are like, they can't let their ego be seen with a GoPro on their head. They just can't handle it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I do it. Um, yeah, so some soul skiing days, but I don't, it doesn't really bother me to like stick a GoPro on and go soul skiing and then deal with the footage yep. some other time. So that's kind of, that's yeah. why it's easy. You, you for never me. know when you have that moment, dude. You know, you're like, shit, I'm so glad I, you know, you'll probably have it if, you, if, if it's not there. If you don't have the GoPro, you're like, I can't believe I didn't bring my GoPro. Yeah. I don't know. Like the days, yeah. you, the yeah. days that I don't bring the GoPro, I think I'm like, hey, I'm just, need to not do anything like i'm not going to put anything on stories i'm not going to pull my phone out maybe i'll put it on silent yeah. like just headphones in go rip some groomers or whatever ski off the top of mammoth or whatever it is and just yeah does that give you anxiety though like you go out and like your two runs in and you're like fuck i should have brought my gopro like i should i <laughs> i gotta get some content up oh, dude, no that, that shit's for him no. Yeah. The days that That's I don't good. bring it, I don't stress about it. The, the, the ones that stress That's you awesome. out is when you do bring it and then the, the battery only had 10% in it or you bring it and then like you bring it and you bring them out, but you like forget the screw or something. Yeah. You're like, Dang. yeah. And, well, I, go for it. And you're skiing on mainly the one Oh twos now, right? The new ones. 
Piesky a lot on the 102. And then now now that we have that Ranger 108, I do a lot of touring mm-hmm. on the 108 when, when conditions are good. Like that thing. I haven't... I've shifted enough into like the the backcountry world and weight weenie world that it's really hard for me to want to carry up hill the one sixteens, but the <laughs> yeah. the one oh eight is is really sick. Um, and I I did fall in love a lot with that ski, but the one oh two is I put the most days on the one oh two for sure. Yeah, I mean, because this is one thing I, I want to talk to you about because we have our own experiences um, between a retailer and someone that's worked for a brand, but not necessarily with an athlete. I mean. You know, we kind of know what it's like, you know, coming out with it with a when a ski company comes out with a new ski, right? We get to prototype it. We go to focus groups. You know, maybe there's some name things going on. We get some early introduction graphics that we maybe, you know, we can put our two cents in. You know, and Matt knows from his side at Fisher kind of what goes into launching a new a new ski. But from from your side, your perspective, like you were pretty heavily involved in the new Ranger series, right? So yeah. like, like, what was your experience in this whole? Because it was a huge project. Uh, for it them to, to do this and, and clean the lineup um, and to come out with what they came out with, which is, which is incredible. So, you know, during that process, like, like where did you kind of see yourself fitting into the development of, the, of this project? Yeah, I mean, this was, I would say this was the first time I'd been genuinely, like, really involved. Like, it had been other times where, yeah, Berkowitz is texting me, like, photos of the graphics and getting my opinion to, yeah. to pitch in, but... Like I was involved from day one and I think it just, I'd been there for enough years and been to enough of the, the product meetings that we do in, in Austria that, you know, I, I was providing useful feedback. And so I was kind of involved from day one, you know, actually yeah. the, the whole marketing campaign and the ski more stuff and, and the direction for the videos that we pick, that was uh, Max and I came up with that instead of them going to an agency, they came to Max and I were like, Hey, can you guys bring us ideas? And we came with, pretty similar ideas of doing kind of more vignetted stories like originally maybe around an athlete or like a pair of athletes and then kind of transitioned a little bit more to you know tying the athlete to the ski that they use the most and so like all the way through from from the marketing to actually doing the shoot you know like I hired the I hired the filmer and photographer for a shoot with Lindsay and I in Utah and like organized the dates and scouted the location and and did all that on site because it was during COVID so nobody could travel from anywhere um Mm -hmm. and yeah and every step through the way of of the actual product testing so i mean we did it was almost three years of testing from the first prototypes that we got on which was the 108 first um uh through till you know when they came out last year so that that was a good point um that the COVID thing i know you kind of skipped over it but um you know you'd been involved in enough projects to know i was obviously involved in a bunch of product projects over the years, but, um, COVID really kind of forced you guys to, to go through that process much differently where you guys couldn't all get together. Um, you know, you guys couldn't all test skis together, but I think what you guys came out with in the end was actually really cool where I remember talking to you where, you know, you guys had to send prototypes around the world. It's awesome. You know, Kyle had, Kyle had prototypes and Lindsay Dyer had prototypes. And then some of the, you know, Vasti had some prototypes and some of the guys over in Europe. And just like you said, I think that was a really cool part that it kind of created these vignettes all over the world with, with different athletes and ambassadors. Um, and then obviously you guys did tons of zooms, I assume, and, and talked about the, the, the products and, and Hatrip was still there at the time. So I was, 
you know, involved a little bit from the, you know, tertiary. But um, yeah, it seemed like a, a really different process that, you know, yes, was difficult. But in the end, I think the end result was really cool. Yeah, it was cool. And, and it also gave, it gave everybody the opportunity to test the skis in their own terrain, you know, instead of bringing everyone together somewhere else. You know, it's like you could ski them at your home resort or you could ski them in a variety of conditions that you're seeing all the time. And so um, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if that gives you more feedback or if maybe it's more biased then, but uh, it's different than how it's normally handled for sure. Well, I, 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 I thought it was kind of like a weird blessing in disguise from a marketing standpoint, you know, because you guys have like four or five different videos for each one all in different parts of the world. I, I remember seeing him for the first time when Landrigan came here to show us. And I was like, I'm like, oh, like, this is really cool. Like, I, even if like take COVID out of it, like, if, if you did that regardless, I, I think it was like really cool. But the fact that you did it because of that, it was really kind of just like a, a great idea that it was executed really well. And those videos came out great. It's like and, the and, Imagine video for skiing. It kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But with different, with different products, yeah. And like having each product it's what you said, Kyle, like be in its kind of home environment, if you will, with people that would be skiing on that product in that environment. I thought it, it just kind of like painted a cool picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought all, it was really it, well done. It was, and it was cool. The, um, El Flamingo films was kind of the head. They did all the editing and, and kind of refined Max and I's vision to, to get it all together. So like everything had a similar feel and a similar style. So it, it tied together across the line, but yeah, all, yeah. Unique stories, different people, um, in their own places on on the skis that they would actually be using. So I was stoked with how it turned out for sure. Yeah, I think I think testing stuff kind of at your at your home mountain or somewhere that you're you're comfortable um, is is a really positive thing. I mean, we've all done enough testing in, you know, different places where you don't know the terrain, you don't know, you know, you're skiing on prototypes, you might be testing boots as well. Um, which is really hard to go test skis and boots at the same time Yep. when they're both new projects. But, um, you know, obviously we do a ton of testing and yes, we do majority of it at, at, you know, one resort. But I think for us, that's been a really positive thing where we typically know the conditions depending on what the weather's going to be, depending on what time of year it is. So yep. for, for us to be able to spend the whole season testing gear, majority of it in one spot, um, one spot it, in the east. Yeah, so. it, it yeah. is really it's really good for consistency, and you know you can really put skis head to head up against each other, and then obviously having the opportunity to then you know go to Colorado, go to Utah, go to Jackson Hole, yep. go to all these other places and test it in you know deeper, softer snow is also great. But um, I think for us, it, it it's been a really positive thing to be able to test a lot of gear at the same place for consistency. Totally. Well, yeah. and especially for you guys as a shop, because the people that are buying gear from you live somewhere similar. So they're skiing in similar conditions. Like it, it allows right. everybody on your team to talk about it in a relatable way to the conditions that they all ski. Like it doesn't do you any good to go to Mount Baker and ski 60 inches on some new K2 ski and then try to sell that to someone living in downtown Boston. Like it's true. Unless they, it's very true. <laughs> unless the only skiing that they do is like one heli ski trip a year. You're like, yeah, this is the ski you want for that. If you're going to go cat skiing in Canada and yeah. you never ski when you're at home, I, I don't know why yep. you do that, but <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for us, I mean, we do have, we do have a lot of those customers that, that travel a lot and ski ski in a lot of places all over the world. So I think that's the other positive things for us to, 
we put an emphasis on making sure that that we do get out west a few times and you know we're involved in the free skier test and stuff like that because a lot of our customers do sure they might spend most of their time on the east but you know they have a second home or they're they're taking yeah. ski vacations out west well, so it's, it's, it's a good story and, and it and it paints a picture of like what the product's going to be used for most of the time and then on your best times which is which is pretty cool yeah um so i want to come back real quick because you, you you mentioned that you kind of fell in love with the 108 and obviously you're skiing the 102 as well and then last year and the year before that you were skiing on the 102 the pink ski most of the time correct yeah yeah right so going so i guess now that you kind of have both of those which is which is pretty rad that you do but like going into this initial project of like launching a whole new kind of ranger series you know was there something like that you were kind of maybe a little bit nervous about even talking about doing a new series of ski because of that that pink 102 kind of checked all your boxes and you were kind of skiing all the time were, were you kind of like we shouldn't fuck this up or what was your initial thought process yeah a, a little bit i think the the sentiment across the whole athlete team was that the the 102 was excellent like that pink the pink 102 was really yep. really good and but our mentality going into the project was hey let's let's take what we did with the 102 and let's do that to the rest of the line so really like we didn't want to change we weren't really looking to change some i some people's sentiment still probably to this day would be like let's actually just keep that ski um but you know getting away from the the separated frti lines and whatever like we want the the 102 was our benchmark and said hey like the the blend of ease of playfulness of capabilities on harder snow all that like what what we want from the 102 is that and then let's adapt that to all these different waist widths whereas you go narrower and you go to the 96 and the 90 that um you know they perform better on piste and that they meet that crowd where for the majority of the skiing that they're doing. And then as you go past the, the 102, you know, in the past we had that 107 TI, but that was like racer dad G S ski that was fast. I think it was a monster. Yeah. And he was sick. Like you could lay it over on pretty dang firm snow and lay down a GS turn, but it wasn't, you know, for what most people are skiing in the West coast, it wasn't the ski for that many people. And it was like, Hey, well let's, let's go. Okay. A little bit more, you know, easier to break away, easier ski, more playful that's on the wider side and, and have this, you know, transition for kind of based on the conditions and the people that are skiing those types of skis and, and meet them where they are with, with something that's going to keep them stoked. Yeah. I mean, from a retail standpoint, it was, it, it was a little frustrating when, when Fisher, and we've talked about this internally a bunch, like when Fisher went for that, that full TI and they just went too far. It was it was it was yeah. too stiff because the Ranger before that was pretty money. I mean, we we it skied well. We, we sold a ton of those, and then it, they leveled it up <laughs> to that next generation of it, and it was just it was a, it was a, it was a monster for most people. Yeah. It was it was it was way too much ski. And I think Kyle, you hit the nail on the head saying like X racer dad would get on it and be like, oh, this thing's sick. But like you know, not everyone is an X racer dad. Like a lot of people are just want to go and have some fun, make some turns, you know. <laughs> and so when they came out with the one hundred and two initially. It was like, oh, like this is what they should feel like. Yeah. We're closer to this, yeah, yeah. but they didn't. They had already invested in in that in that TI, so they're like, all right, well, well, we can't. Like, we have to just change it up somehow. We got to keep the name. We have a great, you know, name equity in Ranger. So then, so then the one or two goes in, and everyone loves that ski, obviously. And so it's it's awesome to see now 
you know, obviously they had this, they had the same thought process that we had at Ski Monster. Like the line needs to be cleaned up. They need to ski more like this, but you need to have more versions of that pink ski, yeah. which is exactly what you said, which is, which is awesome because we have been saying that for like, you know, handful of years now. And now we have it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, 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 it, and it's funny because the, you know, when I was at Fisher and, and Ski Monster was, you know, a, a key account for us. I mean, these guys were part of a ton of focus groups and, um, you know, these guys were at the very first, the first iteration of Rangers. We had a focus group at, at still one year and, you know, they had a lot of input on, on colors and names and all that stuff. So, um, you know, these guys really got behind Ranger the, the first time it was launched. And then the second iteration of the TIs, you know, as we all just talked about, they, right. they, they just got way too burly, you yeah. know? So then it was, we had to correct again. And, and that was the, that was at the point where, you know, a few of us said, Hey, we need some, even the athletes were like, we need a more playful ski in this Ranger line. We're putting all this, you know, all this horsepower behind Ranger, um, so then, you know, you had to break up the line. Like you said, you've got, you, you've got your TI versions that are more directional and hard charging, and then you've mm -hmm. got your playful skis. And then the whole market really kind of swung towards... 102. Yeah, just skis that are, that are more versatile and more approachable for a lot of people. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I think, I mean, now I think the, the Ranger line is, is the best one so far that's out there. Agreed. And, and as a benchmark, you know, you guys, like you said, you use that 102 as the benchmark. You know, when you guys were doing, we were discussing shape, baseline profile, reinforcement, you know, all the above. What was, what was like, how, how do I say this? Like how many prototypes really were built off that 102-ish benchmark before the other ones? I mean, because I, like, if you're using that one as the key ski, right? Was that the general focus of like, let's get this right new and then let's kind of branch out from there? Or how did that go? Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, the way the process ended up working is kind of the, the ski engineers come to us with like a shape idea. So, you know, the, the actual outline, the, the visual look flat on paper of, of what they think might work. And then from the, you know, we get a first round prototype out of that. And the, the way that we did the testing was we had our current skis. So we had 102, we had 107 Ti. Um, and then we would actually, we pulled results from the ski magazine test and we would, we would test against the top ranking skis. Like, Hey, what are people getting out on and what, what's getting rave reviews? What's good about these? And we tested against benchmark skis. So we, we always had ours in there to see, like, let's make sure we're not going backwards from where we are in, in this right. goal of like making something new. We, we certainly don't want to go backwards and then get to the end and feel like, we neglected testing it against our own stuff and then yep. aren't left with something we want. But, you know, you know, our first time on the glacier in Mount hood, it was like, we had the 102, the 107 TI, we had our new 108, we had uh, Nordica enforcer, we had Mindbender 108, you know, and, and as things shifted, we, we tested and, and every waste width was different. So when we were testing 116s, you know, we were, we were testing the top, the top benchmarking skis in those. So we'd have our, our current 115 and the new prototype 116, and then we would have two or three from other manufacturers. And then same thing, 108, 102, all of those, you know, it wasn't always the same brands that were, that were scoring well in there. So um, we were testing against what else was in the market and saying, hey, you know, like we like, we like this aspect of what our current ski does and we really want to hold on to this, but we also really like 
you know, what this, you know, the tip flex profile in this other ski, or maybe it's kind of the rocker or, you know, there's this, this ski like skis well and soft, but as soon as it gets hard, you know, it seems like it's got too much carbon in it. Like it's really chattery. Um, so, so we were testing certainly against everything else. that's not everything else that's out there, but either stuff that was scoring well in magazine tests or that because we're at all the magazine tests, things that we felt like really stood out that we wanted to capture a piece of. Yeah. Things are close enough in the category that we're skiing. Well, I was going to ask you when you said benchmarks, which benchmarks skis you, you use. And you know, you said the Nordic enforcer and the, and the mind better. And Ethan Corby's going to have a hard on because he's going to listen to this and be like, this, yep, of course he used the enforcer. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. So I'm glad, you said that. I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I'm going to get a text. He's going to be like, yep, see, everyone's using the enforcer as their benchmark. Should be so, in, in, Including Corpy. That's, <laughs> that's, that's his benchmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Corpy. I'm just busting your balls. Yeah. That's true. If he needs to be humbled, we, on, we only used it in the one waste width. So maybe you nailed one waste width. The 104? The 104? I think we, what is it, like a, a 110 that we test against the 108? I think... I think that's what it was. Do they have a 110? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They have a one, yeah. 110 and a 104. Yeah. We, maybe yeah, I mean, we touched both of those. He also <laughs> says that he didn't copy Fisher when Fisher broke up the Ranger TIs and Ranger FRs, and then a year and a half later, all of a sudden there was Nordicas and... <laughs> Nordica Enf free. There was enforcers and enforcer freeze. Now yeah. he's really going to text us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, going, going back to that, uh, now that you... You know, you've kind of, like you said, you you were part of part of those discussions input wise for a long time, but but now, um, you know that that you'd built the trust with with the Austrian team and, and and the U.S. team, and you know you were giving constructive criticism and good feedback. Um, you were part of that that full process, and I think um, it it's it's a huge step going from like just giving some athlete feedback to then doing what you did, because I'm sure you got to experience, you know, hearing the sales guys talk about what, what they want for a ski and what they think is sellable and what the price points need to be. And then you've got the marketing team talking about, well, no, like we can't market a ski like that. And then you've got the product guys who are mm -hmm. fighting for what they think. So it's like, there's, there's a lot that goes on. And then in, in, Kyle, you know how I feel about athlete feedback in, in products, and I think it's it's an integral part of building products. But at the same time, I don't know many people that ski like you that are buying right. skis off of a wall. Right. You know, totally. so I think, you know, athletes learn through this process. Like, I can't necessarily go to the engineers in Austria and be like, build me this ski. This is what I want because – 99% of the population doesn't ski like Kyle's main, right? You know, so it's like, you then learn, okay, I need to, I need to bridge the gap of like, Hey, here's what I like in a ski and here's how I ski. But how do we make this work for, for retailers and, and the sales staff? And how do we make this work and for the end, the end user, the end user? Yeah. So at the end of the day, that's the goal to build a ski that they're going to go out and, and have a good time on. And it's going to improve their experience. So, right. um, I think that's just often overlooked. I wanted to bring it up. And, and now that I know that you are part of that entire process, like you see the, the, the internal struggles, everybody's fighting for a certain thing. And then like at the end of the day, everybody has to come together and be like, what is the best 
for the end consumer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of stakeholders and yeah. And you hear, yeah, you got to have the considerations on where it fits on the wall and like, like even the dumbest stuff, it not dumb stuff, but even, even like making the same ski, you know, Fisher, we, we make the same construction ski and then some of them that we sell in more volume have two color options. And that was like, if it's not very gender noticeable, they're like, well, how are, what are dealers going to do? Cause like they, are they going to put them on both walls? Are they going to put on the, the men's ski wall and the women's ski wall? Like, what do you, right. what do you mean? It's the same ski. And you're like, we're all just skiers. It's the same freaking ski. I don't know. I'm sorry that it doesn't fit into your current merchandising profile, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some of that stuff's hard. It's, it is interesting learning all the different stakeholders and, and what everyone has to say and, and kind of how, where you have to meet in the middle, but ultimately you end up the risk, right. That comes up with all of that is that you end up compromising in too many places and then just making a ski that nobody wants or that, right people want but then it sucks um and yeah certainly from the the athlete meetings like you go to the just the athlete summits and everybody maybe not yeah everybody because you see it across brands right like everybody that's in the big ski films not maybe not as much now but for a long time it was like oh they're on this ski that they actually discontinued like that ski doesn't exist anymore because it didn't sell well and they just put the new graphic on it and they just gave it to like six athletes that are filming for MSP or every. No, it's true. Some, it's so true. Yeah. And, and for some reason, like I think, I mean, Fisher's got a style, but all, all of our male athletes for the most part are these over six foot dudes. And so everybody is like, Oh, well, we got to bring back the, the 193, 116. Like I only ski a 116. <laughs> like I live in Utah and I only, I'm like, why do you, that hurt. Just thinking about that hurts my knees. What do you mean? You only ski a 116. <laughs> like, it's, it's not powder every day at Alta. I've been there. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and a lot of people say this, the same thing. Like when, when, you know, they're coming out with something new or talking about, you know, how they're going to approach this new project. It's like, if we take too much feedback from all the people that, you know, you guys are just describing, that's, probably on that zoom call, we're going to end up with, you know, a 95 millimeter black wasted, a 95 millimeter wasted ski that that's like black. That has, a, five, with, sheets that, that has five sheets of metal <laughs> and a little bit of logoing on it. And like, that's it. That's a ski. We got it. We nailed it. And like everyone kind of says the same thing. Like no one wants to like go out on a limb and like, all right, well, like, like how are we going to make this different? Like, how are we going to make it better? Like, why are we building this? And you know, when a brand does it, which Fisher did with this particular series, you know, you can see the positive outcome of it i mean this the, the this the new ranger series is just is fucking fire it's awesome yeah yep. it's awesome um kyle hey before we wrap dude i i i want to say that i saw that you crashed your drone what happened yeah. with that dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so <laughs> wait br brand new drone right <laughs> yeah i bought it this summer i've been wanting a drone for a long time but it's one of those i don't i hate editing film so like i like shooting stuff but then it just sits on a hard drive because i hate editing it so i i always i'm smart enough to talk myself out i finally the new dji mini 3 came out i was like okay i'm gonna buy it i was like jen and i are going to italy this year like i'm gonna fly it there of course you know i didn't we were in italy for two weeks and i never flew it um i've this is my fourth time landed in austria i was there by myself because the other people weren't getting in until later around dinner time and so i was like okay sick i'll sit on the patio like i'm gonna fly this drone get a couple shots the lighting is sick um, 
put it in sport mode, which then like the sensors, the <laughs> crash sensors don't work. And I thought I had actually flipped it out of <laughs> sport mode, but always sport mode. <laughs> I, for, I forgot Dude, that there's why, like... Why do you need it in sport made in, mode? Made in voyage sport mode. Dude, imagine what would have happened if it wasn't in sport mode. Yeah, it wouldn't have gone that high. No, you can go the same height. It just doesn't go as fast. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, I'm impatient. I wanted it to go faster. Yeah, so fourth time I've ever flown this thing. Two of the times were literally me just sitting on my patio at home, just like learning to fly it. I've never done any of the <laughs> simulators. I don't, I don't do anything. I'm just like, I'm, I'll figure this thing out. And there's a, there's a lag on the video stream. <laughs> yeah. There's a lag on the video stream. So I'm like watching this. I let off the controls. I'm like, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden the screen goes black and hmm. I had just crashed this thing into a waterfall and I was at the max height. So it was like the max it lets you go to is <laughs> five, 500 meters. So it was 1500 feet above where I had Jesus. taken off from. Oh, shit. And however far away it was like over this first hillside and then into the next hillside. And I knew I crashed it either into a tree next to the waterfall or into the waterfall. And, and it has a, they have a feature where you can like show lo last location, but to do that, you have to have it connected to the internet before you start flying. And I didn't have okay. cell data cause I'm in Austria. And so of course I didn't do that. So I have no way to like pinpoint where this thing is. <laughs> and it, awesome. Yeah. Just, awesome. I, cra I crashed it near sunset. It was like five o'clock. It was going to be five thirty. It was going to be dark by six thirty. So I'm like, okay, I got to just wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow we got off the hill too late. So I've been. Then it was the next day. Skied all day. Came down. I was like, okay, I got to figure this thing out. Took. Took the first tram up, which I already had the ticket for from skiing, and I had kind of been scouting. I was like, okay, I think that's the waterfall that I crashed into because you can see the live stream. So at least you're like. I was flying forward when I crashed it, so I knew yeah, you what have the like scenery was like. An area of like where it could potentially be. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's that waterfall, and I'm pretty sure it's about in that patch of trees there because I couldn't make it to the top. Yeah. And so yeah, then I took the gondola up and took this hike. I had to cross two other. I had crossed three total waterfalls. I scaled down this cliff, cliff, and of course it's Austria, so it's like <laughs> a, a, a cliff covered in grass, and you're like holding onto trees to like not slide <laughs> off and and then then i ended up finding a trail that was like right next to where my drone was so i could have just taken the trail the whole time and not risk I my think life that, I, I think i think that was my favorite part like he's he's filming himself like he's doing the story and he's like it looks gnarly and then like he pans down he's like there's a trail right there <laughs> like, idiot. i, I could have just taken that trail <laughs> Yeah, but you, but you, you, well, you found it though, right? I found it. It is obliterated. Like the the camera is broken off and dangling by one cord, and the whole housing is like cracked open. And it, I found it actually sitting in the waterfall, so it would just be in like filling with water for <laughs> two days. Yeah, just getting water gushed yeah. on it for two days. I mean, yeah. I, the fact that you found it is pretty impressive. It's insane. Though. I mean, it could have been fucking anywhere, and and you could have been sta like standing over it and not even seen it. But the fact that you found yeah. it is is wild. Yeah. Did the memory card still work? I haven't pulled the memory card out. I'm, I'm hoping that the battery works and I'm sure I got to think that the memory card works. I don't know how that would have gone bad, but so at least I'll have the footage. At least when I left, I'm not like sitting there wondering if it's still okay. Like if it had crashed into a bush and was still all right. Um, <laughs> and I didn't litter, I suppose. Those are all the positives and I got a hike in. I don't know. I didn't need one, but yeah, you got, you got, you got some cardio in early morning <laughs> anxiety cardio. Yeah. Best kind. <laughs> Dude, so are we going to see you on any trips this year? 
Are you, are you going to be back at free skier? What's what's your I'm rough plan? On, yes, yeah, no, maybe. I'm planning on being at free skier mag test. Um, nobody's asked me about it. We don't plan that far ahead, but well, they don't. Yeah, they haven't. It's they don't even announce. I just days, it, just a rough calendar. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't. You kind of know, but you don't really know. You know. We might yeah. have to get them back back here to test some skis in the east. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, we we had some really good trips last year. Um, that were all really successful. It was it was sweet. It was kind of a wild year for tri- actually. That's a good question. What's your what's your wildest trip? You've probably been on a ton of trips. What's your wildest trip you've ever been on? Berkowitz and I went to Kamchatka, Russia. That was oh yeah. That was here a we go trip. again. Yeah, I know. here we go oh, again. Okay, Mister Grease. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's probably that's probably a whole separate podcast. But yeah. that what was. Yeah. I didn't realize that you were on that trip. Matt, Matt has talked to me about that trip probably once a day for the last four and a half years. So I can't wait to talk about it again. They got the invite, Kyle. So they were, they got invited wow. on this trip and it was in April and they were like, oh no, we like want to go to Greece and I'm going to Miami to go to the club. Dun, and I was like, dude, this is a once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> to go to Kamchatka, <laughs> Russia, like you guys got to come. And they both, they both bailed. Um, so well, didn't you guys get like held up in a, like a Russian airport? Yeah. I mean, Dude, the, it, the travel was a nightmare. Yeah. Like, I think it took us yeah. five days from when I left the U S to actually meet up with everyone else was there. It's just Berkowitz and I, we got Jesus. stuck in Moscow. They lost my bags. We were stuck there overnight. Berkowitz had to buy a new flight to get over to Kamchatka from Moscow. Cause it was like some group ticket. So <laughs> since he missed the original plane, he had to just straight up like buy a new one. And yeah. then we got there. We were like in some other camp. We weren't even sure that we were with the same company. So, I mean, I went snowboarding the first day because I didn't even have any of my ski stuff. And, <laughs> but I, the last thing I'll leave, because that is like a whole nother podcast story. Is Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> Berkowitz, I think it, it's been long enough that I've forgotten the, the shitty parts. And I, I, I would say yes to going back now. Like, I think for two Ooh. years, I would have, like, if someone would have invited me, I would have just been like, I'm good. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Get Landrigan on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when Kyle, when he comes out east to test skis here with us, we'll do Kyle's main part two in studio and we'll talk about the stupid Russian trip. Cool. Sound good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. All right, Kyle. Hey, thanks for being here today, man. Thanks for taking time. And we'll see you probably sooner than later, which can be dope. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It's always good to see you. Sounds okay. good. Thanks, later. Kyle. Peace, y'all.